Our topic this week out of the book of the depressed people of the Bible, we're doing the prophet Jeremiah, the crying prophet. Now Jeremiah, he, uh, he wrote for about 40 years. We have prophecies regarding him. Over the time period of five different kings, he lived. And uh, he didn't have it very easy at all. Uh, in the time that he prophesied and all the writings, the book of Jeremiah is a long book. He actually wrote two books, book of Jeremiah, uh, that uh, has many chapters. I think it's over 50 chapters. And in all of that, there, and also he's written about in the time period during the time of the kings and, and chronicles. In all that time, we only have one person that is mentioned by name standing by him, uh, Baruch. And his parents aren't mentioned, and so uh, a difficult time. Uh, going through that. And the other book that he wrote is the book of Lamentations, which, uh, you know, it's a lamenting, all about lamenting. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, not a, a great uh, spiritual read to, to read, to, you know, to, uh, for encouragement, although it is an amazing book. It really is. Um, while it has that name, Lamentations, and you read through it, and it looks like a, a diary of a, of a sad person uh, describing the history of the destruction of Jerusalem, it is really one of the most amazing books in the Bible, because it's not only that historical diary, uh, it is a prophetic book that is as prophetic as the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation describing last day events. It is also a gospel book, as gospel as any one of the four gospels. And again, it is a historical as much as Kings Chronicles or any other historical book. So in this small five chapter book is all of that put together. And I've written a book on that called Lamentations, The Cry of Hope. And we also did a, a sermon series on that, which is available at shalomadventure.com. So let's read a little bit. Well, I guess before we get into the book of uh, um, Jeremiah, in Jeremiah's life and Lamentations, uh, do you want to remind you of the book, Depression, The Way Out? Really great book that uh, would be... I'd encourage anyone to get who's suffering from depression or helping someone through depression. It has a lot of good information in there, the 10 hits of depression, as well as herbs that are good to help offset uh, uh, depression, as well as information about medications and, uh, and many other things about depression and how to get out the way out of depression. And as well as there's the Nedley uh, Depression and Recovery uh, Program, we have brochures in the foyer. Uh, that uh, give information about the program that you can, that you can uh, go and participate in their residential program with. Now before we get into Jeremiah, I did want to talk about the difference between empathy and sympathy. Sympathy is feeling the other person's pain. And there is a time for that. Someone's grieving, they went through a loss, uh, it might be good just to go and sit there and cry with them. The Bible talks about that. Cry with those that are crying. Rejoice with those that are rejoicing. And so there is a time for that. There is a time to be sympathetic to someone else. Uh, not try and solve the problem. You know, they're suffering a loss. And so maybe just cry with them is the best thing that you can do. And that's different than empathy. Empathy sees the problem, but does not get emotionally evolved in the problem has compassion towards the person and stands outside of the problem in order to help the, problem, help the person with their problem. And so an example of, of the two is, uh, is if someone falls off a bridge, whatever, and is in a, a lake or a river drowning, 
and a sympathetic person will jump into the water with them, give them a hug, and drown with them. Right? So that's sympathy. And that is not a good time to be sympathetic, right? An empathetic person will see them in the water drowning, will run and get a rope and a lifesaver, toss it in, stay on solid ground, and pull them out of the water. Right? So that's empathy. Uh, an example in, in my own life, uh, I was just had recently come to the Lord and was thinking about getting into ministry, and I was studying the Bible with a, with a couple, and uh, it was our scheduled time to meet together, and so I drove over to their house, and the lady answered the door, and she had a big black eye, and she started to tell me how her husband uh, beat her and went off to Reno. And uh, I was beginning to feel sympathy for her. I wanted to sit down with her and talk with her and hold her hand and counsel with her and comfort her, but I, even at that point, the Holy Spirit impressed me. That would not be a wise thing to do. So I had to just kind of say a few words there at the door, and I stumbled away, went to my car, and was really feeling sympathy. I was feeling really sad, I was distraught, and I got in the car and just kind of driving around in circles. I thought of a, a couple's house that I can go to, friends of mine, uh, Mike and Shelley, and uh, I drove over to their house and they weren't home and got back in the car and, and I hit something. And again, I was just in a total daze. And I stopped and I thought, if this is how I'm going to be after one couple's problem, how can I ever serve and minister to a congregation? And I thought the Holy Spirit was impressing me. I am not the Savior. Their problem is I cannot solve. God can solve. God's the only one who can solve. And so even though I didn't know about the words and the difference between sympathy and empathy, God was teaching it to me right then. That it'd be better for me to get a hold of myself, like God to take control of me, so that I can stand outside their problem and be able to minister to them and help them. And so that's crucial for us to be able to understand when we are ministering to other people, uh, the difference between the two. And again, there is a time to be sympathetic, but there is also a time to have empathy towards them, be empathetic towards their problem, so that we can help them out. There's too many people who, who take on other people's problems. I get calls, a lot of calls, various different calls, and people say, oh, I got a problem. Can you pray with me or can you counsel me? Uh, okay, I got a few minutes. What, what, what's the problem? What's your problem? And they'll start off by saying, well, my daughter, blah, 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 or my son. So I say, wait, wait, wait a second. This is not your problem. <laughs> they're adults, right? Yeah, they're adults. This is not your problem. This is their problem, <laughs> right? So if they want help with their problem, have them give me a call, <laughs> right? When they start, I have a problem, and they start telling you about someone else's problem, the problem is, is that they're being sympathetic. And they need to learn to be empathetic so they can help the other person. It's one thing to call and say, my son has a problem. <laughs> you know, what advice can I give him? Or can you pray with me for my son? Uh, but when they identify and when we take in other people's problems, then we are borrowing depression from someone else. And we should not allow someone else's problems to become our depression. And so that's a little difference between sympathy and empathy. And again, there is a time for both. But we need to have the wisdom of God, the Holy Spirit, to impress us of which time is the right time to Connect both. And we'll see in Jeremiah's life that he does do both at various different times. So let's look at the book of Lamentations a little bit in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 12. See if there is any sorrow like my sorrow. No one has it as bad as me. 
And that's very typical of us in our human nature, especially typical of us when we're going through depression. Hey, we can share stories of, oh, but I know someone who, you know, has a whole lot worse than you did, and it won't uh, make a dent in, in, in their argument, right? No, no, still nobody knows the trouble I've seen. No one has it as bad as I have it. And that's just, just the way it is. And so Jeremiah expressed that. Now, he might have had tops on a, on a lot of people in this world. Again, 40 years ministering that way. There's a list of some of the things that he went through. He was told by God early on that he would never marry. Only one person mentioned in the Bible supporting him, Baruch. His writings were torn up and burned. He was beaten many times. He was falsely imprisoned several times. He was thrown in a pit, muddy pit, left there to die. A deep well, deep, deep hole, just left there to die. Thankfully, he was rescued out of it. He lived through three long sieges. Thus, he saw cannibalism, rape, death, starvation. So he no doubt uh, was suffering from PTSD, if not worse. And many of us cannot imagine that. Maybe if we've lived through the Holocaust or other places in this world that do experience some of this same and horrible suffering for long periods of time, as he did for long periods of time, that's horrendous. The book of Ezekiel mentions in this same time period uh, of, of women eating their children. We can't imagine. And he saw that, experienced that, and the destruction of the city. So in comparison, how's your day going? <laughs> how's your week been? Right, hopefully better than that, right? Hopefully better than that. But by God's grace, he, he made it through, uh, except one time when we see experienced real signs of deep depression. So in the book of Lamentations, he writes regarding Jerusalem. This again was written after Jerusalem was destroyed. She weeps bitterly in the night. Her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Her enemies prosper. Her children have gone. The adversaries saw her and mocked her downfall. No one comforts me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. And may they become like me. Pretty sad stuff. And maybe you can relate to some of that. Maybe you felt the same way at times. Maybe there have been nights where you've cried all night long with bitter tears on your cheeks. Maybe your friends and lovers have left you. Maybe they're not around to comfort anymore. Maybe they've moved or maybe they've just left you. Maybe through divorce or breakups. Maybe your friends, those that you confided in, those that you were close to, those that you thought you could trust, have turned on you and become your enemy. And maybe they're prospering. They're doing well. And they've lied and they've stolen and they've manipulated, and they're prospering. Maybe your children are gone. Maybe they're not talking to you for whatever reason. Maybe they've died. Maybe they've moved away and just don't communicate with you much. Maybe you feel like nobody is there to comfort you. 
And maybe at times you've wished they might be like me. They might be suffering as badly as I am. Kind of like the, the Yiddish curse that says, may all your teeth fall out except one. And may that one get a cavity. <laughs> you know, may they suffer like I'm suffering. May they have it as bad as I'm having it. So that's how Jeremiah is writing in this chapter one. But again, this is prophetic. Chapter one is historical, but it's also very prophetic in a powerful, powerful way, which we don't have time to get into right now. Now, uh, there is a lady, Linda, who used the book of Lamentations as her diary. She would write in the margins when her enemies had prospered, and she'd write in a date and a time, and, and my friends have betrayed me, and she'd write in a date and, and, and an example there, and, and, and my children have gone, and I'm crying all night long, and she wrote that down. And so she had this Bible all marked up, the Book of Lamentations, like her favorite book. Maybe you can relate. Well, Linda, my mother, is going to share her testimony a little bit later on here tonight, as she experienced depression as this. Thus, I have a genetic hit. <laughs> Jeremiah continues and blames God. Not too much unlike Moses we saw a different week. In chapter 3, various verses from 1 to 20, he has turned aside my ways and torn me in pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set me up as a target. I have become the ridicule of all my people. They're taunting songs all the day. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drink wormwood. He's also broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. I said my strength and my hope have perished. That's difficult to read. It's hard in blaming God like that, and he has done this, he has done that. But you know, it's a whole lot better to be communicating with God and blaming God than to just totally ignoring him and denying him. At least he's communicating with him. You have done this. You have moved my soul apart from me. And so he kept that communion with God even while he was going through struggles, even as he was going through hard, hard times. So let's look at the time mentioned where he experiences depression. We're going to go to the book of Jeremiah. Oh, I'm sorry, before we hit that, before, in Lamentations, he still finds a way out. We don't want to leave him in that depressed state. So let's read some of the verses of him finding a way out in chapter 3, verse, starting verse 21. But this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, therefore I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. So even right after the next verse, right after he goes through all that God has done this and you have caused me to suffer, but he puts his hope in God in spite of the difficulties he's going through. 
And that is key. That is so key. Having hope. That's faith. That's what faith is. Having hope by what we don't see, but by what God promises. Not the reality we're experiencing physically, but what we can experience spiritually, emotionally, mentally, internally, the peace inside. And he continues on and says, For the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he does not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. So yes, sometimes God allows us to be cast off seemingly in this world, but not forever. And though he allows us to go through affliction, he does not so, do so willingly. It's not what he desires, but in the big scheme of things, he knows that he can work even this out together for good. And that we and others will be in heaven as a result of us going through the trials and struggles here on this earth. And so sometimes we go through problems just because we're on a fallen planet. And things just happen. Bad things just happen here. We're dealing with the devil and evil angels. We're dealing with fallen humans. We're dealing with just problems. Just the world is corrupting and, and falling apart. Things rust. Things get bad, right? Things go bad, right? Uh, things just happen. But then also things happen sometimes, sometimes because of that, and sometimes because of mistakes that we ourselves have made. And thus he says, let us search out and examine our ways, and then turn back to the Lord and lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. So it's good to do both. It's good to realize, hey, we're in a fallen planet. These things are going to happen here, and it's just the way it is, but it's not going to last forever. There is heaven. There is hope. There is another... Uh, Eternity that God has in store for us. And it is also good to allow the Holy Spirit to search us and show us if we have participated in it at all. If any of the problems I'm currently going through, are they my fault? Is there anything I did or didn't do that helped to make this happen? And if so, confess it. Accept the Messiah's death in your behalf. Accept his forgiveness. Accept his cleansing. And by his grace, move on. And by his Holy Spirit, do better next time. So it's good to search and to stop blaming everything and everyone else. And again, it's not always our fault, but sometimes it is. So now let's go to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 20. This is a few years earlier before the Jerusalem was destroyed. Pasher, the chief governor, heard that Jeremiah prophesied the coming destruction of Jerusalem. Pasher struck Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks by the house of the Lord. A stock is a very cruel punishment. Uh, it's this type of stocks that they had back then. And be tied up, you can't feed yourself, can't help yourself. Anyone who's angry at whoever knows what might decide to come and, and, and vent their anger at you, throw things at you, spit at you, kick you, who knows what. Horrible. Out in the sun or the heat or the cold. And just left there, whether it's raining, and just left horrible torture that was done. Amazingly satanic that humans have come up with to punish one another. Absolutely horrible. And Jeremiah experienced some of these things. 
And so he starts his day with a bad <laughs> a down, right? He's beaten and then put in stocks. So that's a down, down to start with. But verse 2, the next day, Pasha brought Jeremiah out of the stocks. So that's good. So now he's free, he's out. And so if he was released, if you were just released after being treated that way, what might you do? Promise, don't worry, I won't prophesy anymore like that. I will, I'll keep quiet, I won't say anything more, don't worry. I won't talk about the king this way, I won't talk about Jerusalem this way. <laughs> just don't put me back in those stocks, don't, don't beat me anymore. Put your tail between your legs and, and crawl home quietly and sheepishly. Not just not say a word, just be thankful. You know, I don't want to get him angry again. I don't want to say anything to him. Just, just slip away, sleek away. Let's see what Jeremiah did. Verse 3. Jeremiah said, The Lord says, Your friends shall fall by the sword, and your eyes shall see it. The king of Babylon shall carry them captive and slay them. And you, Pasher, and all who dwell in your house shall go into captivity, and there you shall die and be buried, you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied lies. Uh, that took chutzpah, right? I mean, <laughs> that's not the way to win friends and influence people, right? <laughs> He's saying that to the guy, the governor, who can put him back in them stocks. So he's back up again. Trust in the Lord. Speaking the Lord. The Lord's word. Don't you have, wish you had, thus saith the Lord sometimes, to just give it to them sometimes? <laughs> thus saith the Lord. So if it wasn't necessarily a wise thing to say to the governor, not necessarily a tactful thing to say, why did he say it? Well, the next verse tells us. Verse 7. O Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I, and have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out, I shouted, violence and plunder, because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. He's down. <laughs> He's down again. I didn't want to say it. Lord, you made me say it. You're stronger than I. You compelled it out of me. Now I'm being mocked, I'm being derided, I'm being tormented. I quit, I'm not doing this anymore, I'm not going to make mention of you anymore, I'm not going to speak your name anymore. Next verse, verse 10. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. He's back up again. The Holy Spirit's in me, the fire of God's in me, and I just got to speak it and I'm going to speak it. I don't want to speak it, but I'm going to speak it anyway. <laughs> Thus saith the Lord. So you see this roller coaster that he's on, of these emotions. And maybe you go through that too. I, I don't, maybe I shouldn't do it. Maybe I should. What is I might get fired. I might lose my job. I might have this problem. I might, uh, I might go broke. I might, oh no, and go back and forth. But it's the Lord's command and I need to. And back and forth and back and forth. Right? That's the realization of life on earth. We're tempted by both sides, those two angels on either shoulder, the good angel and the bad angel, whispering in our ears, follow the Lord, don't follow the Lord. Everyone's doing it, doesn't matter. <laughs> what the Lord says is more important. And back and forth, the battle goes. We're experiencing this battle, this great battle, this great controversy between God and Satan every day. And we are the rope that they're tugging on. We are the prize 
that they're after. And so we hear those voices pulling in both directions, tempting us and encouraging us. And the decision we make, that's us. Who we end up listening to, that is what is recorded as our thoughts. And that's why it's so important for us to make that right choice. To call on the Lord to give us the strength to make that right choice and to side with him. And God gives us that freedom to choose between those two sides. And so the battle continues in Jeremiah's mind. Verse 11, I heard many mockings, fear on every side. Report, they say, and we will report it. All my acquaintances watch for my stumbling, saying perhaps he can be induced, and then we will prevail against him, and we will take our revenge on him. Down again, he's hearing the, the rumors, he's hearing the whisperings, oh no, they're going to come in the middle of the night with battering rams and 20 FBI agents, they're going to knock down my doors and storm inside and search my house and find some crumb of something that I didn't realize was there, and oh no, and, and he's fearful, oh no, they're going to try and induce me, they're going to search my emails, they're going to twist my words and take it out of contents, and they're going to bash me and, 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 and deride me in the press, and oh no, they're going to they're gonna attack me, they're coming after me. He's fearful and worried. Verse 12, But the Lord is with me as a mighty awesome one. Therefore my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed. They will not prosper. For everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. Amen. Amen. So he's back up again, right? God is almighty. God is bigger than my tormentors. God is bigger than my the enemies. God will prevail. God will see us through. Verse, says verse 12, and then verse 13. O Lord of hosts, you who test the righteous and see the mindset of the heart, let me see your vengeance on them, for I have pleaded my cause before you. This is like Jonah going up on the hill, waiting to see the fireworks, wanting to see God destroy Nineveh. Let me see your vengeance on them. And this might be kind of a down here, right? You know, the one thing that God protect me, it's another thing, God, let me see your vengeance on them. I want to see Pasher get beaten up. I want to see him be captive by Babylon. I want to see him die uh, there as a captive. So he's not necessarily in a great state there. But he's up again. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the poor from the hand of the evildoers. So back and forth, he's up. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord. God is good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And then seemingly out of nowhere, verse 14, Cursed be the day which I was born. Let the man be cursed who brought news to my father, saying, A male has been born. Let that man be destroyed because he did not kill me from the womb. Why did I come forth from the womb to see labor and sorrow down again? I wish I never was born. What state is he in? Depression, depression right. And what type of depression? What is he desiring? Suicidal. He's suicidal, right? Yeah. Like Moses, like Elijah, like Jonah. Even more so, they said, Lord, take my life. Here he's wishing he never was born. Wipe out the whole last 50 or whatever years. I wish I was aborted in the womb. Cursed be the guy who announced that my mother was pregnant. May he be destroyed for doing so. He's not happy. He is suicidal. At least desiring to not be alive. 
And that's where the chapter ends. But fortunately, not the end of the book. So let's look at some of the hits that Jeremiah might have been experiencing. Genetic hit, we don't have information about that. Developmental hits, so his family history of depression, we don't have. Developmental, we don't have his young childhood. We don't know if he had any problems in that. Lifestyle, well, he's thrown in a pit and thrown in a dungeon and, and he didn't get exercise and in stocks, he's not getting exercise, not getting sunlight, uh, not getting fresh air. So times in his life when he was imprisoned that way, uh, he was certainly uh, could have had a lifestyle hit. Circadian rhythm, uh, again, under those conditions, when he's imprisoned and beaten and those type of things, he probably didn't have a regular uh, sleeping schedule and could have been out of whack there. Addictions, I have no doubt that he didn't have any addictions. Nutrition, uh, not getting uh, tryptophan or omega-3s, vitamin B and folic acid. Again, there was a siege going on. There was, again, no food, people eating their children, people eating bird's dung, so I'm sure he didn't have enough nourishment. And when he was in prison, they weren't feeding him three meals a day, that's for sure. So he very well could have had nutrition hit. Toxic, we don't have information about uh, lead or mercury levels or other poisons. Uh, social grief, yes, he experienced a lot of stress. He called before the king and prophesying and battling with God, you know, not wanting to and fearing and being willing to and no support. Again, no mention of parents. He wasn't allowed to marry and, and he only had one person all these years stand by him. And experienced great loss. Great loss in himself, privileges, and great loss in the city, great loss of freedoms, and then seeing the Jerusalem destroyed, he experienced great loss. Having his writings ripped up and torn and burned, experienced great loss. So those are four right there. Medical, we don't have his history for that. Uh, and frontal lobe, in contrast to some of the others we've seen, we have no record of him consciously acting against his, or choosing to act against his conscience. So we don't have him acting against God. We don't have any sin recorded against him. And, uh, and so uh, probably didn't have a frontal lobe hit. And so there's those four. So as we look at the desiring to never have been born, wishing they'd never been born, one thing we're seeing again with these others, that it's not unusual, shouldn't be surprised, if we have thoughts come into our head of suicide, the thoughts coming into our heads that it'd be better not to be alive. That's norm for the course here on this earth. Again, Satan whispers into our ears all the time. It's not good to dwell on that. It's not good to contemplate it. It's not good to plot it, plan it. It's certainly not good to attempt it or execute it. But don't be surprised at some point in your life if you're tempted with those thoughts. I had a friend share with me, and I think I'll read this right out of the story in the book. When her brother died, I gave her a call to comfort her. And she said to me, he's the fortunate one. He gets to rest until the Lord returns. The rest of us still have a work to do. People think I'm nuts when I say things like that. 
I'm not depressed, depressed or suicidal. It's just reality. I do miss him like my siblings do. I'm just saying his work is done and ours continues. It's not easy here on earth. While there are many blessings here, there's also plenty of sickness, troubles, pains, trials, and heartache. My brother, at least, does not have to experience any more of that. And so she's right. Her brother had it easier than she did. He's resting in peace. He believed in the Lord. He's waiting on the Lord's return and the resurrection. And we still toil here. And if you haven't noticed yet, life here ain't easy. <laughs> it's filled with troubles and trials and problems. Natural disasters, earthquakes, hurricanes, snowstorms, rainstorms, all kinds of problems. Floods, difficulties, bugs, gnats, mosquitoes. <laughs> right? There's various different problems that we experience. Disease, sickness, there's death. There's troubles, cars break down, problems in the house, electric goes out, various things happen, computers freeze, people hack into you, people steal. Things happen in this earth. It's not a great place. It's a fallen planet. That's how the Bible describes it. From the very beginning, you will toil. You'll get your food, dealing with from the work on the soil and with briars and thorns you'll have to do your work be not easy to even bear children tells them it's going to be difficult it's going to be problems it's going to be problems on this earth but god has called us to work for him and to serve him and in doing that we're fighting against the devil and that doesn't make it easy but praise the Lord, God is on our side and he's more than a match for everything the devil can throw at us. But we're in a war, we're in a battle. It is a real battle. Eternal battle, more so than any war that's ever been fought here. The eternal results for the salvation of souls and the devil does not give up easy. He does not want to let go of any of his possessions. So there's a struggle. That's so why Yeshua tells us to storm the gates of hell by his power and by his grace. Not down the gates. He's in, he has them locked in gates. And it takes the power of God to overcome that, to deal with that. And then there's the struggles in our minds like Jeremiah went through. The struggle over sin, the struggle over temptation, the struggle over doubts and fears. As I sometimes feel it'd be easier Life would be easier if I wasn't alive. It's not unusual. And so it's kind of par for the course, just accept it and, and move on. And that's what Jeremiah did, because in the next chapter, it, it, it just moves on to the next story. When the king sends Pasher again another day to ask him, what's going to happen to us? Will God have mercy on us? And Jeremiah did not compromise he did not give oh god is love god is merciful god is good everything's going to be okay everything's going to be good everything you're going to be fine don't worry just have faith he said no babylon's coming he's going to destroy this city and you and the king are going to get me captive <laughs> he let him have it he gave him the truth 
Because they weren't repentant. Because they did not acknowledge their own sins. Because they did not let God search their hearts. Because they did not examine their own ways. Because they did not see that they were not listening to what Jeremiah was telling them and Ezekiel and the other prophets. That the problems that were coming were because of their own sins. And if we participate in sin and remain in sin, we can't expect God's mercy to cover sin. It covers confessed sins. It removes confessed sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so Jeremiah kept giving the message and moved on with life. So he went through that depressed state. He went through that suicidal thoughts and then just kept on serving the Lord. And that's a service that God has called us to to move forward with him. Even Paul had these same thoughts in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. For to me, life is the Messiah, and death is gain. But if by living on in the body, I can do a fruitful work, then I don't know which to choose. I'm caught in a dilemma. My desire is to go off and be with the Messiah. That is better, by far. But because of you, I'm stuck here. The greater need is to stay on in the body. Yes, I am convinced of this. So I know I will stay on with you in order to, uh, to help you progress in the faith and have joy in it. Yes, yeah, so even Paul says, man, I wish I wasn't here. <laughs> Boy, I wish I'd just die already. That'd be far better. That's greater gain. <laughs> but I'm going to stay here because of you. <laughs> God has called me to help you, and so I'm going to be here for you. <laughs> And that's why God's called us here. That's why we're alive. It's to help others. It's not about ourselves. He wasn't saying, well, so I can live longer and, 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 and have, you know, all the comforts of life. I might live long enough to, to have an indoor laundry room, you know, with a washer and dryer, you know. And maybe I'll get a, uh, an iPhone someday. You know, that's not what he was looking forward to. I'm here to serve. To help people to progress in their faith and to have joy in it, in spite of the troubles. And he said this from a dungeon. He said this from a prison. And so he wrote his letters and got the message out there. And that is what helped Jeremiah too. As we go back to Lamentations chapter 3, verse 48. My eyes overflow with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. All his crying wasn't for himself. He was crying for Jerusalem. He was crying for the people of Jerusalem. He was crying for the daughters of my people. And that's what made the difference. His sorrow was not for himself. He wasn't self-absorbed. Paul wasn't self-absorbed. wasn't doing what he wanted. He was doing what God wanted to help other people. Those are the two things we see in Jeremiah's life. Hope, hope in a future, hope in a better eternal world, and helping as many people get there as possible. And when we have those two things focused in mind, God's great love for us, his eternal plan for us, his sacrifice for us that has paid the way for us to be able to be in heaven, and God's great love for others, those two things will... Keep us going in spite of whatever we end up going through here on this earth.
Richard Wormbrandt tells, tells a powerful story when he was locked up and beaten and cruelly imprisoned for his faith uh, in Romania. Sharing his faith, that was his crime. Believing in the Bible. And he was beaten and on a deathbed, just lying there in this area where they just put people that almost no one survived. And he's laying there and, and they brought in another person, another prisoner, another faithful believer, beaten badly and he's laying there dying. Just gotten beaten up and cruelly tortured. And then they brought in another person and he was on the other side of him, in the bed right next to him. And it was a soldier, it was a guard, who had beat the other guy. But for whatever reason, the communists decided to turn on him also. Maybe he showed a little compassion, or maybe something, or some reason they turned on him as well. They don't care, they beat everyone. So they beat him to a pulp as well. And so bad, both of them are dying. And the guard asked the other man, Richard's in the middle, he asked the other man to forgive him. And the other man began to witness to him and shared the gospel with him. And the guard accepted the mercy and the forgiveness of the Lord and the love of God. And then both of them died. But that man lived to share the gospel. He lived for others. As God fills us with his Holy Spirit, we will stop being so self-centered. We'll be God-centered and other people-centered. And that's, again, the whole, all the Ten Commandments hang on that. All the Ten Commandments are summarized in that, loving God and loving our neighbor. When we surrender self to the Lord, accept God's removal of it, and are filled with his Holy Spirit, that's the type of heart and attitude we will have as well. Now I invite Linda Brother <laughs> to come up. So Linda Brother is my mother. So she's mother brother. Her brother was her brother brother. Her brother was my uncle brother. And more than hating being the speaker is following a speaker like Jeff. So it's not me that's speaking, it's only the Lord that's speaking, because he's brought me through something that he wants me to share. This was my attempt of suicide. Um, this was a Buick, built before they had airbags and um, seat belts. And I crashed into a brick wall. I. Um, survived without a scratch. Um, the tow truck driver didn't, couldn't believe that I survived because the whole front end is pushed into the car. But I did. And is that one on too? And um, Lord saw me through that. At that time, I didn't know God. I was raised Jewish, and the only thing I knew about God was the Jewish holidays. Uh, I never read a Bible. I never saw a Bible. I didn't know scripture. And so uh, I just survived, but 
I didn't know where to turn. Um, my brother was living in a hippie commune in California, and um, he accepted the Lord. And um, I went out to see him, and he gave me a Bible. This is the Bible he gave me. And it's all mocked up in Lamentations, as the rabbi had said. Um, Uh, so at that point, I had a Bible, I had scripture, I had people that told me about the Messiah, but when I came back to New York, I didn't have any basis or anything, and so while I made a wise choice to accept the Messiah, I made a lot of unwise choices, and... Um, I had kidnapped my young son and I uh, was in sort of a panic that I needed to go to court and I felt all alone. Um, and so again, the feeling of uh, the world getting too tight and that I need to get out. Um, but I didn't want to try the suicide attempt again because I felt maybe this time I wouldn't be so blessed to walk away without a scratch. The next time the Lord might let me feel some pain and be in a wheelchair or something else would happen and so I was really afraid of it. And so I went to a phone booth and at that time we didn't have cell phones so you had to go to a phone booth, and I called information to try and get the suicide hotline to see if I could find somebody that would talk me out of the way I was feeling. Well, the operator said, how do you spell it? I said, suicide, suicide, I want to kill myself. And she said, I know what you mean, I don't know how to spell it. And so I slammed down the phone, and there was some snow on top of the booth and it fell on me and I'm, ah, this is just angering me. I don't know what to do. And so I got in my car, to, car and I'm riding around and I'm going, God, I need somebody to talk to. I need somebody to pray with me. I need some guidance so I can't do this on my own. What do you want from me? And um, I was on the service road of the Long Island Expressway when a big van pulled out in front of me. It said Seventh-day Adventist. I never heard of Seventh-day Adventist. But for some reason, I felt inspired to follow it. And it pulled into a driveway of a big mansion. And a lot of people got coming out of it. And I went over and I said, is this a place where somebody can pray with me? And someone took me inside and gave me over to the lady that ran it, a really spiritual woman named Juanita. And she set me up with a lady that prayed with me. And then they invited me to stay because this was the first outreach of this ministry to the homeless people of New York. So they had gone through the streets of Manhattan picking up homeless people and bringing them out for a holiday party where they gave them a meal, 
People gave testimonies, there were songs, and there were presents for them. And so I watched this whole thing go on, and um, after the party was over, they were taken back to the city, and I was just sitting there. I was homeless, but I had a car. So a few people prayed with me, and Juanita said I could stay the night. And so I had told her I needed to go to court the next day, and people counseled with me. And um, two young Jewish men sat with me and told me the story of the battle between God and Satan, and told me that Satan was trying to use me to hurt God. And that sort of snapped suicide out of my mind forever. It's never come back in again because I'm not giving Satan the glory. I only give the glory to God. Amen. And so uh, I ended up staying there, um, going out on the street. The vans would go out every weekday and they would take people's blood pressure and they would give out free literature about uh, health and how to handle stress and um, spiritual things. And so um, I was content to be there. Um, I was volunteering at the start um, because I was collecting disability. Um, when I was in my depressed state, I couldn't get a job because all I would do was cry in an interview. And so nobody hires the crying person. And so um, I was comfortable here. Um, they made me, and I do say made me, say things I was thankful for. And I would say, I don't have anything to be thankful for. Everything is gone from me that I wanted, that I had. And then Juanita would say, Linda, look around and see what you are thankful for. Are you thankful that you can see the sunrise? Are you thankful that you can hear a bird sing? And so she started me to start seeing where I could be thankful instead of having pity parties all the time. Um, so I decided I didn't need the security of Social Security anymore. I could now work. And so I contacted Social Security and told them that they could cancel my account. I didn't need them anymore. And um, they sent me to a psychiatrist. <laughs> they wanted to be sure I knew what I was doing. And so I passed that test. And I finally was free from uh, government support. And now, constantly, I have been supported only by God. And so I'll, I'll leave you with this promise that God gave me in 1 Peter 5.10. And the God of all grace called me to his eternal glory and Messiah. After I suffered a little while, he himself restored me and has made me strong, firm, and steadfast. Thank you. See, look at that. They clap for you. They never clap for me. <laughs> you should preach every week. 
So yes, God saw her through it, and part of the way, one of the ways was hope and serving others. Right? So, for our lives, for you and me, if your life has been or is currently a roller coaster ride of ups and downs, choose to accept God's current calling and purpose in your life. And by God's grace, move on. Keep on moving on. Two, if you're currently in one of the low parts of the roller coaster track, choose to stand for God and represent Him properly in spite of the trials. Don't let the devil win. Three, if you've been regularly holding pity parties, telling everyone within hearing range your problems, choose not to bring up your problems except to one or two carefully picked people who have strong faith, are prayer warriors, are good listeners, who will not judge you or others, who are not gossips, and who will give you good advice, even if it is advice you might rather not hear. Right, just spreading it around, telling everybody, and rehearsing the problem over and over again is not helpful. It's not good for us. We hear it over and over again. We say it, and then we hear it, and it just, uh, it just sticks in there more. And, and so I don't recommend using the Book of Lamentations as a diary, <laughs> you know, in, in writing uh, in it that way, because uh, it just solidifies it. And you don't want to solidify it, but we don't want to deny it either. And so, again, if you're going through a hard time, and that's normal here on Earth, then choose this type of criteria. A person who meets all of these things, one or two people that you can confide in, who is a spiritually strong person and will not judge you, will listen, will pray, will not gossip, gossip, and will give you good advice. And then ask for God's Spirit to give you the humility to follow the good advice that they're giving. Or, if you don't know someone who fits that description, Ask your minister to recommend someone. If you don't regularly attend services and thus don't have a minister, I recommend you begin praying and working on finding a congregation that fits God's description of a biblically sound congregation. And certainly Beth El Shalom is, welcome, uh, is here and, and welcomes you to attend here. Make this your home. Five, if you're in a situation like Jeremiah in Jerusalem, where you're not the only one suffering, but you've only been thinking about how you are being affected, then confess to God your self-centeredness and ask God to give you a loving concern for others who are in the same boat as you are. You know, people are getting laid off at work and we just focus on ourselves and maybe not anyone else. Other people are getting sick or other people are having problems and we focus on ourselves. Ask God to switch that so that your focus is also on other people. And not denying our problems, but not making that everything. Six, if you're seeing with Moses, Elijah, Jeremiah, Paul, myself, etc., that is not abnormal to at times think it would be better if you were never born, or if the Lord took your life, or, or uh, it would be better if the Lord took your life, uh, then accept those thoughts for what they are temptations from the devil and move on with life make the best of it while you are in this world by serving god and directing more people to the better land 
7. If you're called to entrust someone else into God's hands, do you have the spiritual discernment to know when to be sympathetic and when to be empathetic? When to let, other, let the other person grow and learn on their own and when to let someone else help them? If not, then ask for God, to, Holy Spirit, to give you wisdom to know when to be sympathetic, when to be empathetic, and to put that into practice. Be codependent, always sympathetic and crying with everybody and sinking with them. And then you won't be able to help anyone. Verse 8. If you're receiving disability payments for depression, like Linda was, wouldn't you like to be able to call like she did and tell them that your doctor says you no longer need to be classified as disabled? If so, keep working on lowering your depression hits and keep your eye on that goal. And if necessary, again, contact the Nelly Depression and Recovery, uh, Depression and Anxiety Recovery Program and, uh, and let them help you out as well. So if any of those eight items apply to you, Today, this week, let us surrender them over to God. Let God fill us with faith and hope and strength. Let us pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we are thankful that you love us with an everlasting love. You never leave us nor forsake us. And even though there are problems in this world and troubles in this life, you promise to see us through. Fill us with hope. Fill us with faith. Thank you for giving us your son. Thank you, Yeshua, for dying for us to cleanse us of the mistakes that we have participated in and the ways that we've made our situation worse and how we've hurt others. Thank you for forgiving us and cleansing us. Fill us with your mind. Fill us with love for others. Comfort us, strengthen us, guide us, and direct us. And use us in ministering to others. And we ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen.